Welcome to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Sense and Sensibility, Jane Austen's timeless tale of the Dashwood sisters set in Regency-era England. This is the 12th title in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. If this is your first time with us, you can find all the other novels in our series, plus new episodes, at classicalfm.ca or through your favorite podcast app. Now, let's turn to Marilyn as she reads Sense and Sensibility. Chapter 38 Mrs. Jennings was very warm in her praise of Edward's conduct, but only Eleanor and Marianne understood its true merit. They only knew how little he had had to tempt him to be disobedient, and how small was the consolation beyond the consciousness of doing right that could remain to him in the loss of friends and fortune. Eleanor gloried in his integrity and Marianne forgave all his offences in compassion for his punishment. But though confidence between them was, by this public discovery, restored to its proper state, it was not a subject on which either of them were fond of dwelling when alone. Eleanor avoided it upon principle, as tending to fix still more upon her thoughts by the too warm, too positive assurances of Marianne, that belief of Edward's continued affection for herself, which he rather wished to do away. And Marianne's courage soon failed her in trying to converse upon a topic which always left her more dissatisfied with herself than ever by the comparison it necessarily produced between Eleanor's conduct and her own. She felt all the force of that comparison, but not as her sister had hoped to urge her to exertion now. She felt it with all the pain of continual self-reproach, regretted most bitterly that she had never exerted herself before. But it brought only the torture of penitence, without the hope of amendment. Her mind was so much weakened that she still fancied present exertion impossible, and therefore it only dispirited her the more. Nothing new was heard by them for a day or two afterwards of affairs in Harley Street or Bartlett's buildings. But though so much of the matter was known to them already, that Mrs. Jennings might have had enough to do in spreading that knowledge further, without seeking after more, she had resolved from the first to pay a visit of comfort and inquiry to her cousins as soon as she could, and nothing but the hindrance of more visitors than usual had prevented her from going to them within that time. The third day succeeding their knowledge of the particulars was so fine, so beautiful a Sunday as to draw many to Kensington Gardens, though it was only the second week in March. Mrs. Jennings and Eleanor were of the number, but Marianne, who knew that the Willoughbys were again in town and had a constant dread of meeting them, chose rather to stay at home than venture into so public a place. An intimate acquaintance of Mrs. Jennings joined them soon after they entered the gardens, and Eleanor was not sorry that by her continuing with them and engaging all Mrs. Jennings' conversation, she was herself left to quiet reflection. 
She saw nothing of the Willoughbys, nothing of Edward, and for some time nothing of anybody who could by any chance, whether grave or gay, be interesting to her. But at last she found herself with some surprise accosted by Miss Steele, who, though looking rather shy, expressed great satisfaction in meeting them, and on receiving encouragement from the particular kindness of Mrs. Jennings, left her own party for a short time to join theirs. Mrs. Jennings immediately whispered to Eleanor, "'Get it all out of her, my dear. She will tell you anything if you ask. You see, I cannot leave Mrs. Clark.' It was lucky, however, for Mrs. Jennings' curiosity, and Eleanor's too, that she would tell anything without being asked, for nothing would otherwise have been learned. "'I am so glad to meet you,' said Miss Steele, taking her familiarly by the arm, "'for I wanted to see you of all things in the world.' and then lowering her voice. "'I suppose Mrs. Jennings has heard all about it. Is she angry?' "'Not at all, I believe, with you.' Oh, that is a good thing. And Lady Middleton, is she angry? I cannot suppose it possible that she could. Oh, I am monstrous glad of it. Oh, good gracious, I have had such a chime of it. I never saw Lucy in such a rage in my life. She vowed at first she would never trim me up a new bonnet, nor do anything else for me again so long as she lived. But now, well, she has quite come to, and we are as good as friends as ever. Look, she made me this bow to my hat and put in the feather last night. Oh, there now, you are going to laugh at me too. But why should I not wear pink ribbons? I do not care if it is the doctor's favorite color. <laughs> I am sure for my part, I should never have known he did like it better than any other color if he had not happened to say so. My cousins have been so plaguing me. I declare sometimes I do not know which way to look before them. She had wandered away to a subject on which Eleanor had nothing to say, and therefore soon judged it expedient to find her way back again to the first. "'Well, but, Miss Dashwood,' speaking triumphantly, "'people may say what they choose about Mr. Ferrars declaring he would not have Lucy, for it is no such thing, I can tell you, and it is quite a shame for such ill-natured reports to be spread abroad.' Whatever Lucy might think about it herself, you know, it was no business of other people to set it down for certain. I never heard anything of the kind hinted at before, I assure you, said Eleanor. Oh, did not you? But it was said, I know very well, and by more than one, for Miss Godby told Miss Sparks that nobody in their senses could expect Mr. Ferrars to give up a woman like Miss Morton, with thirty thousand pounds to her fortune, for Lucy Steele that had nothing at all, and I had it from Miss Sparks myself. And besides that, my cousin Richard said himself that when it came to the point, he was afraid Mr. Ferrars would be off. And when Edward did not come near us for three days, I could not tell what to think myself. And I believe in my heart, Lucy gave it up all for lost. For we came away from your brother's Wednesday, and we saw nothing of him, not all Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and did not know what was become of him. Once Lucy thought to write to him, but then her spirits rose against that. However, this morning he came just as we came home from church, and then it all came out 
how he had been sent for Wednesday to Harley Street and been talked to by his mother and all of them, and how he had declared before them all that he loved nobody but Lucy, but nobody but... And nobody but Lucy would he have and how he had been so worried by what passed that as soon as he had went away from his mother's house, he had got upon his horse and rid into the country, somewhere or rather, and how he had stayed about at an inn all Thursday and Friday on purpose to get the better of it. And after thinking it all over and over again, he said, it seemed to him as if, now he had no fortune and no nothing at all. It would be quite unkind to keep her on the engagement, because it must be for her loss, for he had nothing but two thousand pounds, and no hope of anything else. And if he was to go into orders, as he had some thoughts, he could get nothing but a curacy. And how was they to live upon that? He could not bear to think of her doing no better, and so he begged, if she had the least mind for it, to put an end to the matter directly and leave him shift for himself. I heard him say all this as plain as could possibly be, and it was entirely for her sake and upon her account that he said a word about being off and not upon his own. I will take my oath. He never dropped a syllable of being tired of her or of wishing to marry Miss Morton or anything like it. But to be sure, Lucy would not give ear to such kind of talking, so she told him directly, with a great deal about sweet and love, you know, and all that. Oh, la, one can't repeat such kind of things, you know. Anyway, she told him directly she had not the least mind in the world to be off, for she could live with him upon a trifle, and how little soever he might have, she should be very glad to have it all, you know, or something of the kind. So then he was monstrous happy, and talked on some time about what they should do, and they agreed he should take orders directly, and they must wait to be married till he got a living. And just then I could not hear any more, for my cousin called from below to tell me Mrs. Richardson was come in her coach and would take one of us to Kensington Gardens. So I was forced to go into the room and interrupt them to ask Lucy if she would like to go, but she did not care to leave Edward, so I just ran upstairs and put on a pair of silk stockings and came off with the Richardsons. I do not understand what you mean by interrupting them said Eleanor. You were all in the same room together, were you not? No, no, indeed, not us. Oh, la, Miss Dashwood, do you think people make love when anybody else is by? Oh, for shame. To be sure, you must know better than that. <laughs> no, 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 they, they were shut up in the drawing room together, and all I heard was only by listening at the door. How? cried Eleanor. Have you been repeating to me what you only learnt yourself by listening at the door? Uh, I am sorry I did not know it before, for I certainly would not have suffered you to give me particulars of a conversation which you ought not to have known yourself. How could you behave so unfairly to your sister?' Oh, now, there's nothing in that. I only stood at the door and heard what I could. And I am sure Lucy would have done just the same by me. For a year or two back, when Martha Sharp and I had so many secrets together, she never made any bones of hiding in a closet or behind a chimney board on purpose to hear what we said. 
Eleanor tried to talk of something else, but Miss Steele could not be kept beyond a couple of minutes from what was uppermost in her mind. "'Edward talks of going to Oxford soon,' said she. "'But now he is lodging in Pell Mill. "'What an ill-natured woman his mother is, ain't she? "'And your brother and sister were not very kind. "'However, I shan't say anything against them to you. "'And to be sure, they did send us home in their own chariot, "'which was more than I looked for. "'And for my part, I was all in a fright "'for fear your sister should ask us "'for the housewives she had given us a day or two before. "'But, however, nothing was said about them, "'and I took care to keep mine out of sight. <laughs> "'Edward had got some business at Oxford,' he says, "'so he must go there for a time. "'And after that, as soon as he can light upon a bishop, "'he will be ordained. "'I wonder what curacy he will get. "'Good gracious! <laughs> "'I lay my life I know what my cousins will say when they hear of it. "'They will tell me I should write to the doctor "'to get Edward the curacy of his new living. "'I know they will, "'but I am sure I would not do such a thing for all the world. <laughs> "'Oh, la, I shall say directly, "'I wonder how you could think of such a thing. "'I write to the doctor, indeed.' "'Well,' said Eleanor. It is a comfort to be prepared against the worst. You have got your answer ready. Miss Steele was going to reply on the same subject, but the approach of her own party made another more necessary. Oh, la, here come the Richardsons. I had a vast deal more to say to you, but I must not stay away from them, not any longer. I assure you, they are very genteel people. He makes a monstrous deal of money, and they keep their own coach. I have not time to speak to Mrs. Jennings about it myself, but pray tell her I am quite happy to hear she is not in anger against us, and Lady Middleton the same. And if anything should happen to take you and your sister away, and Mrs. Jennings should want company, I am sure we should be very glad to come and stay with her for as long a time as she likes. I suppose Lady Middleton won't ask us any more this bout. Goodbye. I am sorry Miss Marianne was not here. Remember me kindly to her. Oh, la, if you had not got your spotted muslin on, I wonder you was not afraid of its being torn. Such was her parting concern, for after this she had time only to pay her farewell compliments to Mrs. Jennings before her company was confirmed by Mrs. Richardson, and Eleanor was left in possession of knowledge which might feed her powers of reflection some time, though she had learnt very little more than what had already foreseen and very little more than what had been already foreseen and foreplanned in her own mind. Edward's marriage with Lucy was as firmly determined on, and the time of its taking place remained as absolutely uncertain as she had concluded it would be. Everything depended, exactly after her expectation, on his getting that preferment, of which at present there seemed not the smallest chance. As soon as they returned to the carriage, Mrs. Jennings was eager for information, but as Eleanor wished to spread as little as possible intelligence that had in the first place been so unfairly obtained, she confined herself to the brief repetition of such simple particulars as she felt assured that Lucy, for the sake of her own consequence, would choose to have known. 
the continuance of their engagement and the means that were able to be taken for promoting its end was all her communication. And this produced from Mrs. Jennings the following natural remark. Wait for his having a living. Aye, we all know how that will end. They will wait a twelve-month, and finding no good comes of it, will set down upon a curacy of fifty pounds a year, with the interest of his two thousand pounds, and what little matter Mr. Steele and Mr. Pratt can give her. Then they will have a child every year, and Lord help them, how poor they will be. I must see what I can give them towards furnishing their house. Two maids and two men, indeed, as I talked of t'other day. No, no, they must get a stout girl of all works. Betty's sister would never do for them now. The next morning brought Eleanor a letter by the Tuppany Post from Lucy herself. It was as follows. Bartlett's Building, March. I hope my dear Miss Dashwood will excuse the liberty I take of writing to her, but I know your friendship for me will make you pleased to hear such a good account of myself and my dear Edward after all the troubles we have went through lately. Therefore, we'll make no more apologies, but proceed to say that, thank God, though we have suffered dreadfully, we are both quite well now, and as happy as we must always be in one another's love." We have had great trials and great persecutions, but, however, at the same time, gratefully acknowledge many friends, yourself not the least among them, whose great kindness I shall always thankfully remember, as will Edward, too, who I have told of it. I am sure you will be glad to hear, as likewise, dear Mrs. Jennings, I spent two happy hours with him yesterday afternoon. He would not hear of our parting, though earnestly did I, as I thought my duty required, urge him to it for prudence' sake, and would have parted for ever on the spot would he consent to it. But he said it should never be. He did not regard his mother's anger, while he could have my affections. Our prospects are not very bright, to be sure, but we must wait and hope for the best. He will be ordained shortly, and should it ever be in your power to recommend him to anybody that has a living to bestow, I'm very sure you will not forget us. And dear Mrs. Jennings, too, trust she will speak a good word for us to Sir John or Mr. Palmer, or any friend that may be able to assist us. Poor Anne was much to blame for what she did, but she did it for the best, so I say nothing. Hope Mrs. Jennings won't think it too much trouble to give us a call, should she come this way any morning. It would be a great kindness, and my cousins would be proud to know her. My paper reminds me to conclude, and begging to be most gratefully and respectfully remembered to her, and to Sir John and Lady Middleton, and the dear children when you chance to see them, and love to Miss Marianne. I am, etc., etc., etc. As soon as Eleanor had finished it, she performed what she concluded to be its writer's real design by placing it in the hands of Mrs. Jennings, who read it aloud with many comments of satisfaction and praise. 
Very well, indeed. Oh, how prettily she writes. Aye, that was quite proper to let him be off if he would. That was just like Lucy. Oh, poor soul. I wish I could get him a living with all my heart. She calls me dear Mrs. Jennings, you see. <laughs> she is a good-hearted girl as ever lived. Very well, upon my word. That sentence is very prettily turned. Yes, 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 I will go and see her, sure enough. How attentive she is to think of everybody. Thank you, my dear, for showing it to me. It is as pretty a letter as ever I saw, and does Lucy's head and heart great credit. Chapter 39 The Miss Dashwoods had now been rather more than two months in town, and Marianne's impatience to be gone increased every day. She sighed for the air, the liberty, the quiet of the country, and fancied that if any place could give her ease, Barton must do it. Eleanor was hardly less anxious than herself for their removal, and only so much less bent on its being effected immediately, as that she was conscious of the difficulties of so long a journey which Marianne could not be brought to acknowledge. She began, however, seriously to turn her thoughts towards its accomplishment, and had already mentioned their wishes to their kind hostess, who resisted them with all the eloquence of her goodwill when a plan was suggested which, though detaining them from home yet a few weeks longer, appeared to Eleanor altogether much more eligible than any other. The Palmers were to remove to Cleveland about the end of March for the Easter holidays, and Mrs. Jennings, with both her friends, received a very warm invitation from Charlotte to go with them. This would not in itself have been sufficient for the delicacy of Miss Dashwood, but it was enforced with so much real politeness by Mr. Palmer himself, as, joined to the very great amendment of his manners towards them, since her sister had been known to be unhappy, induced her to accept it with pleasure. When she told Marianne what she had done, however, her first reply was not very auspicious. Cleveland, she cried with great agitation. No, I cannot go to Cleveland. You forget, said Eleanor gently, that its situation is not, that it is not in the neighborhood of, but it is in Somersetshire. I cannot go into Somersetshire. There, where I looked forward to go. No, no, Eleanor, you cannot expect me to go there. Eleanor would not argue upon the propriety of overcoming such feelings. She only endeavored to counteract them by working on others, represented it, therefore, as a measure which would fix the time of her returning to that dear mother, whom she so much wished to see in a more eligible, more comfortable manner than any other plan could do, and perhaps without any greater delay. From Cleveland, which was within a few miles of Bristol, the distance to Barton was not beyond one day, though a long day's journey, and their mother's servant might easily come there to attend them down, and as there could be no occasion of their staying above a week at Cleveland, they might now be at home in little more than three weeks' time. As Marianne's affection for her mother was sincere, it must triumph with little difficulty over the imaginary evil she had started. Mrs. Jennings was so far from being weary of her guests that she pressed them very earnestly to return with her again from Cleveland, 
Eleanor was grateful for the attention, but it could not alter her design. And their mother's concurrence being readily gained, everything relative to their return was arranged as far as it could be, and Marianne found some relief in drawing up a statement of the hours that were yet to divide her from Barton. "'Ah, oh, Colonel, I do not know what you and I shall do without the Miss Dashwoods,' was Mrs. Jennings' address to him when he first called on her after their leaving her was settled. "'For they are quite resolved upon going home from the Palmers, and how forlorn we shall be when I come back. Lord, we shall sit and gape at one another as dull as two cats.' Perhaps Mrs. Jennings was in hopes, by this vigorous sketch of their future ennui, to provoke him to make that offer, which might give himself an escape from it. And if so, she had soon afterwards good reason to think her object gained, for on Eleanor's moving to the window to take more expeditiously the dimensions of a print which he was going to copy for her friend, he followed her to it with a look of particular meaning and conversed with her there for several minutes. The effect of his discourse on the lady, too, could not escape her observation, for though she was too honourable to listen, and had even changed her seat on purpose that she might not hear, to one close by the pianoforte on which Marianne was playing, she could not keep herself from seeing that Eleanor changed colour, attended with agitation, and was too intent on what he said to pursue her employment. Still farther in confirmation of her hopes, in the interval of Marianne's turning from one lesson to another, some words of the colonel's inevitably reached her ear, in which he seemed to be apologizing for the badness of his house. This set the matter beyond a doubt. She wondered, indeed, at his thinking it necessary to do so, but supposed it to be the proper etiquette. What Eleanor said in reply she could not distinguish, but judged from the motion of her lips that she did not think that any material objection, and Mrs. Jennings commended her in her heart for being so honest. They then talked on for a few minutes longer without her catching a syllable when another lucky stop in Marianne's performance brought her these words in the colonel's calm voice. I am afraid it cannot take place very soon. Astonished and shocked at so unlover-like a speech, she was almost ready to cry out, Lord, what should hinder it? But checking her desire, confined herself to this silent ejaculation. This is very strange. So he need not wait to be older. This delay on the colonel's side, however, did not seem to offend or mortify his fair companion in the least, for on their breaking up the conference soon afterwards and moving different ways, Mrs. Jennings very plainly heard Eleanor say, and with a voice which showed her to feel what she said, I shall always think myself very much obliged to you. Mrs. Jennings was delighted with her gratitude, and only wondered that after hearing such a sentence, the colonel should be able to take leave of them, as he immediately did, with the utmost sang-froid, and go away without making her any reply. She had not thought her old friend could have made so indifferent a suitor. What had really passed between them was to this effect. "'I have heard,' said he, with great compassion, 
of the injustice your friend Mr. Ferrars has suffered from his family. For if I understand the matter right, he has been entirely cast off by them for persevering in his engagement with a very deserving young woman. Have I been rightly informed? Is this so? Eleanor told him that it was. The cruelty, the impolitic cruelty, he replied with great feeling, of dividing or attempting to divide two young people long attached to each other is terrible. Mrs. Ferrars does not know what she may be doing, what she may drive her son to. I have seen Mr. Ferrars two or three times in Harley Street and am much pleased with him. He is not a young man with whom one can be intimately acquainted in a short time, but I have seen enough of him to wish him well for his own sake— and as a friend of yours, I wish it still more. I understand that he intends to take orders. Will you be so good as to tell him that the living of Delaford, now just vacant, as I am informed by this day's post, is his, if he think it worth his acceptance? But that, perhaps, so unfortunately circumstanced as he is now, it it may be nonsense to appear to doubt. I only wish it were more valuable. It is a rectory, but a small one. The late incumbent, I believe, did not make more than two hundred pounds per annum, and though it is certainly capable of improvement, I fear not to such an amount as to afford him a very comfortable income. Such as it is, however, my pleasure in presenting him to it will be very great. Pray assure him of it. Eleanor's astonishment at this commission could hardly have been greater had the colonel been really making her an offer of his hand. The preferment, which only two days before she had considered as hopeless for Edward, was already provided to enable him to marry, and she of all people in the world, was fixed on to bestow it. Her emotion was such as Mrs. Jennings had attributed to a very different cause. But whatever minor feelings, less pure, less pleasing, might have a share in that emotion, her esteem for the general benevolence and her gratitude for the particular friendship which together prompted Colonel Brandon to this act were strongly felt and warmly expressed, and disposition with that praise which he knew them to deserve, and promised to undertake the commission with pleasure, if it were really his wish to put off so agreeable an office to another. But at the same time, she could not help thinking that no one could so well perform it as himself. It was an office, in short, from which, unwilling to give Edward the pain of receiving an obligation from her, she would have been very glad to be spared herself. But Colonel Brandon, on motives of equal delicacy, declining it likewise, still seemed so desirous of its being given through her means that she would not on any account make farther opposition. Edward, she believed, was still in town, and fortunately she had heard his address from Miss Steele. She could undertake, therefore, to inform him of it in the course of the day. After this had been settled, Colonel Brandon began to talk of his own advantage in securing so respectable and agreeable a neighbor, and then it was that he mentioned with regret 
that the house was small and indifferent, an evil which Eleanor, as Mrs. Jennings had supposed her to do, made very light of, at least as far as regarded its size. "'The smallness of the house,' said she, "'I cannot imagine any inconvenience to them, for it will be in proportion to their family and income.' by which the colonel was surprised to find that she was considering Mr. Farrar's marriage as the certain consequence of the presentation, for he did not suppose it possible that Delaford Living could supply such an income as anybody in his style of life would venture to settle on, and he said so. This little rectory can do no more than make Mr. Farrar's comfortable as a bachelor. It cannot enable him to marry, I'm sorry to say, that well, my patronage ends with this, and my interest is hardly more extensive. If, however, by an unforeseen chance it should be in my power to serve him, father, I must think very differently of him from what I do now. If I am not as ready to be useful to him then as I sincerely wish I could be at present, what I am now doing, indeed, seems nothing at all. Since it can advance him so little towards must be his principal, well, his only object of happiness. His marriage must still be a distant good. At least, I am afraid it cannot take place very soon. Such was the sentence which, when misunderstood, so justly offended the delicate feelings of Mrs. Jennings. But after this narration of what really passed between Colonel Brandon and Eleanor while they stood at the window, the gratitude expressed by the latter on their parting may perhaps appear in general not less reasonably excited, nor less properly worded, than if it had arisen from an offer of marriage." Chapter 40 "'Well, Miss Dashwood,' said Mrs. Jennings, sagaciously smiling, as soon as the gentleman had withdrawn, "'I do not ask you what the Colonel has been saying to you, for, though upon my honour I tried to keep out of hearing, I could not help catching enough to understand his business. And I assure you I never was better pleased in my life, and I wish you joy of it with all my heart.' "'Thank you, ma'am.' said Eleanor. It is a matter of great joy to me, and I feel the goodness of Colonel Brandon most sensibly. There are not many men who would act as he has done. Few people who have so compassionate a heart. I never was more astonished in my life. Lord, my dear, you are very modest. I ain't the least astonished at it in the world, for I have often thought of late there was nothing more likely to happen. You judge from your knowledge of the Colonel's great benevolence, but at least you could not foresee that the opportunity would so very soon occur. Opportunity, <laughs> repeated Mrs. Jennings. Oh, as to that, when a man has once made up his mind to such a thing, somehow or other he will find an opportunity. Well, my dear, I wish you joy of it again and again, and if ever there was a happy couple in the world, I think I shall soon know where to look for them. You mean to go to Delaford after them, I suppose? said Eleanor, with a faint smile. Aye, my dear, that I do, indeed. And as to the house being a bad one, I do not know what the colonel would be at, for it is as good a one as ever I saw. He spoke of its being out of repair. Well, and whose fault?
fault is that? Why don't he repair it? Who should do it but himself? They were interrupted by the servants coming in to announce the carriage being at the door, and Mrs. Jennings, immediately preparing to go, said, Well, my dear, I must be gone before I've had half my talk out. But, however, we may have it all over in the evening, for we shall be quite alone. I do not ask you to go with me, for I dare say your mind is too full of the matter to care for company, and besides, you must long to tell your sister all about it. Marianne had left the room before the conversation began. Certainly, ma'am, I shall tell Marianne of it, but I shall not mention it at present to anybody else. Oh, very well, said Mrs. Jennings, rather disappointed. Then you would not have me tell it to Lucy? "'for I think of going as far as Holborn today. "'No, ma'am, not even Lucy, if you please. "'One day's delay will not be very material. "'Until I have written to Mr. Ferrars, "'I think it ought not to be mentioned to anybody else. "'I shall do that directly. "'It is of importance that no time should be lost with him, "'for he will, of course, have much to do relative to his ordination.' "'This speech at first puzzled Mrs. Jennings exceedingly.' Why Mr. Ferrars was to have been written to about it in such a hurry she could not immediately comprehend. A few moments' reflection, however, produced a very happy idea, and she exclaimed, Oh, ho, 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 I understand you. Mr. Ferrars is to be the man. Well, so much the better for him. I, to be sure, he must be ordained in readiness, and I am very glad to find things are so forward between you. But, my dear... Is not this rather out of character? Should not the colonel write himself? Sure, he is the proper person. Eleanor did not quite understand the beginning of Mrs. Jennings' speech. Neither did she think it worth inquiring into, and therefore only replied to its conclusion. Colonel Brandon is so delicate a man that he rather wished anyone to announce his intentions to Mr. Ferrars than himself. And so you are forced to do it? "'Well, that is an odd kind of delicacy. "'However, I will not disturb you, seeing her preparing to write. "'You know your own concerns best. "'So, good-bye, my dear. "'I have not heard of anything to please me so well since Charlotte was brought to bed.' "'And away she went. "'But returning again in a moment, "'I have just been thinking of Betty's sister, my dear. "'I should be very glad to get her so good a mistress.' "'But whether she would do for a lady's maid, well, I am sure I can't tell. "'She is an excellent housemaid and works very well at her needle. "'However, you will think of all that at your leisure.' "'Certainly, ma'am,' replied Eleanor, not hearing much of what she said, "'and more anxious to be alone than to be mistress of the subject. "'How she should begin, how she should express herself in her note to Edward, "'was now all her concern.' The particular circumstances between them made a difficulty of that which to any other person would have been the easiest thing in the world. But she equally feared to say too much or too little, and sat deliberating over her paper with the pen in her hand, till broken in on by the entrance of Edward himself. 
He had met Mrs. Jennings at the door on her way to the carriage, as he came to leave his farewell card, and she, after apologizing for not returning herself, had obliged him to enter by saying that Miss Dashwood was above, and wanted to speak with him on very particular business. Eleanor had just been congratulating herself, in the midst of her perplexity, that however difficult it might be to express herself properly by letter, it was at least preferable to giving the information by word of mouth, when her visitor entered, to force her upon this greatest exertion of all. Her astonishment and confusion were very great on his so sudden appearance. She had not seen him before since his engagement became public, and therefore not since his knowing her to be acquainted with it, which, with the consciousness of what she had been thinking of, and what she had to tell him, made her feel particularly uncomfortable for some minutes. He, too, was much distressed, and they sat down together in a most promising state of embarrassment. Whether he had asked her pardon for his intrusion on first coming into the room, he could not recollect, but, determining to be on the safe side, he made his apology in form as soon as he could say anything after taking a chair. "'Mrs. Jennings told me that you wished to speak with me. At least I understood her so, or I certainly should not have intruded on you in such a manner, though—' So at the same time, I should have been extremely sorry to leave London without seeing you and your sister, especially as it will be most likely for some time, and it is not probable that I should soon have the, the pleasure of meeting you again. I, I go to Oxford tomorrow. You would not have gone, however, said Eleanor, recovering herself, and determined to get over what she so much dreaded as soon as possible, without receiving our good wishes, even if we had not been able to give them in person. Mrs. Jennings was quite right in what she said. I have something of consequence to inform you of, which I was on the point of communicating by paper. I am charged with a most agreeable office." breathing rather faster than usual as she spoke. Colonel Brandon, who, who was here only ten minutes ago, has desired me to say that, understanding you mean to take orders, he has great pleasure in offering you the living of Delaford, now just vacant, and only wishes it were more valuable. Allow me to congratulate you on having so respectable and well-judging a friend, and to join in his wish that the living—well, it is about two hundred a year—were much more considerable, and such as might better enable you to—as— <laughs> as might be more than a temporary accommodation to yourself, such, in short, as might establish all your views of happiness. What Edward felt— as he could not say it himself, it cannot be expected that anyone else should say for him. He looked all the astonishment which such unexpected, such unthought-of information could not fail of exciting. But he said only these two words. Colonel Brandon? Yes, continued Eleanor, gathering more resolution as some of the worst was over. Colonel Brandon means it as a testimony of his concern for what has lately passed, for the cruel situation in which the unjustifiable conduct of your family has placed you. 
a concern which I am sure Marianne, myself, and all your friends must share, and likewise as a proof of his high esteem for your general character and his particular approbation of your behavior on the present occasion. Colonel Brandon, give me a living. Can it be possible? The unkindness of your own relations has made you astonished to find friendship anywhere. No, replied he, with sudden consciousness, not to find it in you. For I cannot be ignorant that to you, to your goodness, I owe it all. I feel it. I would express it if I could, but, <laughs> oh, as you well know, I am no orator. You are very much mistaken. I do assure you that you owe it entirely, at least almost entirely, to your own merit and Colonel Brandon's discernment of it. I have had no hand in it. I did not even know, till I understood his design, that the living was vacant, nor had it ever occurred to me that he might have such a living in his gift. As a friend of mine, of my family, he may perhaps, well, indeed, I know he has, still greater pleasure in bestowing it. But, upon my word, you owe nothing to my solicitation. Truth obliged her to acknowledge some small share in the action, but she was at the same time so unwilling to appear as the benefactress of Edward that she acknowledged it with hesitation, which probably contributed to fix that suspicion in his mind which had recently entered it. For a short time he sat deep in thought, after Eleanor had ceased to speak. At last, and as if it were rather an effort, he said— Colonel Brandon seems a man of great, great worth and respectability. I have always heard him spoken of as such, and, and your brother, I know, esteems him highly. He is undoubtedly a sensible man, and in his manners perfectly the gentleman. Indeed, replied Eleanor, I believe that you will find him on farther acquaintance all that you have heard him to be, and as you will be such very near neighbors— for I understand the parsonage is almost close to the mansion-house, it is particularly important that he should be all this. Edward made no answer, but when she had turned away her head, gave her a look so serious, so earnest, so uncheerful, as seemed to say that he might hereafter wish the distance between the parsonage and the mansion-house much greater. "'Colonel Brandon, I think, lodges in St. James Street?' said he, soon afterwards, rising from his chair. Eleanor told him the number of a house. I must hurry away, then, to give him those thanks, which he will not allow me to give you, to assure him that he has made me a very, an exceedingly happy man. Eleanor did not offer to detain him, and they parted with a very earnest assurance on her side of her unceasing good wishes for his happiness in every change of situation that might befall him. On his, with rather an attempt to return the same good will than the power of expressing it, "'When I see him again,' said Eleanor to herself, as the door shut him out, "'I shall see him, the husband.' of Lucy. And with this pleasing anticipation, she sat down to reconsider the past, recall the words, and endeavor to comprehend all the feelings of Edward, and, of course, 
to reflect on her own with discontent. When Mrs. Jennings came home, though she returned from seeing people whom she had never seen before, and of whom therefore she must have a great deal to say, her mind was so much more occupied by the important secret in her possession than by anything else that she reverted to it again as soon as Eleanor appeared. Well, my dear, I sent you up the young man. Did not I do right? And I suppose you had no great difficulty. You did not find him very unwilling to accept your proposal? No, ma'am, that was not very likely. Well, and how soon will he be ready? For it seems all to depend upon that. Really, said Eleanor, I know so little of these kinds of forms that I can hardly even conjecture as to the time or the preparation necessary. But I suppose two or three months will complete his ordination. Two or three months, cried Mrs. Jennings. Lord, my dear, how calmly you talk of it. And can the colonel wait two or three months? Lord bless me, I am sure it will put me quite out of patience. And though one would be very glad to do a kindness by poor Mr. Ferrars, I do think it is not worth while to wait two or three months for him. Sure somebody else might be found that would do as well, somebody that is in orders already. My dear ma'am, said Eleanor, what can you be thinking of? Why, Colonel Brandon's only object is to be of use to Mr. Ferrars. Oh, Lord bless you, my dear. Surely you do not mean to persuade me that the colonel only marries you for the sake of giving ten guineas to Mr. Ferrars? The deception could not continue after this, and an explanation immediately took place by which both gained considerable amusement for the moment without any material loss of happiness to either, for Mrs. Jennings only exchanged one form of delight for another, and still without forfeiting her expectation of the first. "'Aye, aye, the parsonage is but a small one,' said she, after the first ebullition of surprise and satisfaction was over, and very likely may be out of repair. But to hear a man apologizing, as I thought, for a house that to my knowledge has five sitting-rooms on the ground floor, and I think the housekeeper told me could make up fifteen beds, and to you, too, that had been used to live in Barton Cottage, it seems quite ridiculous. But, my dear, we must touch up the colonel to do something to the parsonage and make it comfortable for them before Lucy goes to it. But Colonel Brandon does not seem to have any idea of the livings being enough to allow them to marry. The colonel is a ninny, my dear, because he has two thousand a year himself. He thinks that nobody else can marry on less. Take my word for it that if I am alive, I shall be paying a visit at Delaford Parsonage before Michaelmas, and I am sure I shan't go if Lucy ain't there. Eleanor was quite of her opinion as to the probability of their not waiting for anything more. Thank you for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Sense and Sensibility. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. This is the latest book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Other selections include Pride and Prejudice, Sunshine Sketches of a Little Town, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Vanity Fair, Showboat, Anne of Green Gables, The Age of Innocence, and The Woman in White. 
You can help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.